most of research is me search. This is the Yoakam Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakam. And on this episode of the podcast, we have Caroline Wester. Caroline is a legend in the wrestling and combat prep world and lived up to this hype today with her knowledge bombs on body leveraging, mathematically correct positions, and all things wrestling and combat prep. Caroline is one of those coaches like Odarian Barr that just sees the world of movement in such a unique and outside-the-box way. One that pulls you to take off your glasses and look at the world differently. And that is exactly what this podcast is for. And must listen for all movement coaches out there. I hope you guys get as much out of this as I did. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with the Yoakum Strength Coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines. That includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite-level guests to unravel what high-performance really is. Hi, well, Coach, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, we've just been, we rifted for the last 14 minutes talking about uh, talking about all things body leveraging and wrestling and really your, your, your technical and tactical understanding of your sport. One of the things that you brought up just a little bit ago is like, the, the comment that was like, you broke down this whole movement of a wrestling move. And the person was like, well, she's breaking down the angles. You're like, no, like this was sequence. Like we planned this, we trained this. And it, it's really like when, when people watch your videos and, and I went down a deep rabbit hole of your page, I went all the way back down. I watched all the videos. I was like, your, your understanding of the sport is really just next level. And, and all the coach I compared you to Ben Creamer, who I was saying the same thing with is like his understanding of hand fighting is just next level. And you you have a lot of these coaches that, really just don't have that understanding of their sport, which is kind of frustrating because it's their entire job, you know, like it's their entire job to have that entire understanding of their sport. So I'm interested, how did you get your PhD in sport? Like, how did you get to the level that you're at to where you're able to see wrestling where it's this chaotic based environment where it's reactions and everything's kind of happening at once? How, how did you get to a point where you're able to break it down in such like a, an artistic way in such a a way that you have this like PhD and understanding of everything that's happening and, and choreographing it the way that you said. Right. Well, so I guess for me, the advantage was I never wrestled growing up. I didn't have anybody in my family wrestle. I think my brother was on the JV team for maybe a week. And, um, you know, I just didn't grow up in a wrestling family. So when my youngest child wanted to wrestle and I would first went over to Stanford and watched it, I didn't have any preconceived notion. So immediately upon watching the wrestling there was a couple of things I noticed. One, an extreme amount of tension from the parents toward the middle school and younger athletes in the room. Two, there was a lot of repetition and a lot of screaming um, instruction around the, the person's consideration of the athlete's effort. 
right? And then uh, lastly, was I just would watch and I thought that the structure they're making with their body is not congruent to putting the other person on their back. And if this was an engineering job, if I was, this was my job, I would be fired if I was them. And that's really what I saw initially. So it was sort of this, it was sort of this conundrum. And I think what I noticed was um, immediately was how much these kids really wanted to, really wanted to do well. Like they really wanted to um, wrestle and they really wanted to be outstanding, but they had they had no understanding of how to use their body correctly. So I had two things that were going on. One, I didn't really enjoy the um, tone and words used toward youth athletes uh, by some of the parents and even some of the coaches. And two, I just knew there was a way to do it better, but I had to come up with a formula that would work where the parents could not make a comment upon what their athlete was doing. So um, after watching for a little bit, I noticed, I finally asked, I had a lot of support at Stanford. So I wasn't on the coaching staff or anything. I was just a parent, but a lot of the men, the coaches in the room, uh, one in particular uh, was really encouraging and listening to what I was saying. So he was keep asking the athlete to do it over and over. And finally he said, can I say something? And he's like, no, go ahead. You know? And I said, the structure um, to this one particular athlete, I said, the structure you're making with your body is not the same as the 30 year old uh, Olympic athlete from Colorado Springs. So if you make a 90 degree angle here, you have your heel over your toe, you could drag your calf, use your hamstring, and then take your lead leg seven inches further by storing your weight in your back leg instead of leaning forward and diving straight down and having the other person fall on you, you're probably going to increase the amount of completion of your shots by about 60%. And that's something that I just... People always want to know who taught me. No one. I see it. Just I see it. And if you spend any time with me, you get that I just see it. So that's sort of what happened. And I would notice coaches were teaching the college guys and the RTC guys and everyone. And they'd say, in this situation, it's the third period. You're down by six. You need to get a you know five point move. And if they're turned this way, you turn this way. And I said, are you? teaching these athletes by situation they said yes i said isn't it a six or or eight minute match nine minute match they're like yes and i said there was an athlete there jason welch i said jay can you shoot reshoot and i clocked it and he moved 15 times in 20 seconds so i'm saying in a six or eight minute match if they can move 15 times in 20 seconds you're going to teach every possible situation no wonder these kids feel hopeless because it's hopeless especially for a kid and the parents are screaming and i kept saying I kept wondering, finally, I said to this one father, I said, why are you screaming at your child? Well, he doesn't want it. He's out there in a white singlet with his private showing. I think he wants it. There's not one middle school kid down at the Stanford Mall in a singlet, right? So I'm like, we need to change this perspective of what they're thinking and apply some logic. So based on the circumference of the mat, the distance across the middle, anaerobic and aerobic thresholds, I was able to watch and come up with 14 specific sequential muscle order that made up 95% of the technique that would be effective against an opponent with effective map-based body position. So a lot of technique that's taught is just taught, 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 but they've not tested it against the best possible body structure. And that's when people get so unglued, to get so unglued with me because you know, I didn't, I didn't show up one day in a wrestling outfit with wrestling shoes. You know, I looked like everyone else and I would be saying these things out loud and the other people would be the other parent and the other coach would go and explode, you know, get off bottom, 
things that were inherently uh, evident. And I'm saying, post your lead leg in a 90 degree angle, contract your lead calf, push forward with your trail leg hamstring, bring your body up at 45 degrees, contract and push back on your trail leg, wide leg, make a make a straight line back, shoot. Because it was mapping. I mean, a straight line is normally faster than a circle. And, uh, you know, I would just see these things. So once I figured out what I felt was, and literally we would have like these giant, it was like consumer reports of wrestling. I remember one year Lee Pritz had been over at Gilroy doing a camp and um, he taught a bunch of stuff and all these kids have been to all these camps. And we went back to my facility and we just threw down some pizza and about two cases of water. And we spent maybe two days going through every piece of technique we'd learned and then applying the best math-based attack against it. And if the body position couldn't hold, the technique couldn't hold against the math, we threw it out. If we had the best body position and an attack couldn't make it move, we threw out the attack. And then we just narrowed it down to specific movements. And then I had to figure out a way how to teach it without triggering um, every the parents and the other coaches. Because really, all these people are not bad or egregious people. These are people who sincerely want their kid and they want to succeed. And these coaches, these high school, middle school, and even college coaches, they're making nothing, barely nothing for the time and effort they put forth. They're taking time for their relationships, their family, their children. They have not one malicious bone in their body for the most part. And the parents, they just want more for their kid than they had, or maybe their self-image is a little lower and they want their kid to do well to make them feel better. Whatever it is, everybody's got their, you know, everybody's got their 411, right? But if I could figure out a way to teach people, athletes to move that would be in the same sequential muscle order that they needed, then I was really going to be able to help people. And I was down for that because I felt like wrestling was a sport that required people not to stall, that you couldn't blame anybody else. You know, I'm from Kentucky, you know, go big blue basketball, but it takes all five of those guys on the court to make that, you know, shit happen. But in wrestling, you know, it's just you as it is in life. So I really got into trying to do the sequential muscle order. And, um, you know, over time, I think it was 2011 and I was sitting in my office. I got a call on my cell phone. He said, is this Carolyn Wester? I said, yes. He says, Daniel Cormier, um, can I bring some youth wrestlers over to your practice tonight? I said, sure. I really didn't know who Daniel was because I really don't know, didn't know who anybody was because I'm not, um, uh, my parent, I, I grew up in a way where I just was around people who, who had a lot of power and influence. And it's, it just doesn't matter to me. Like I'm not about, I'm not like a super fan. But um, I just want everybody to be successful. So Daniel came over that night. He had a bunch of athletes with him. My guys were wrestling. And uh, the next day he said, I'd like you and John Hall, who was an older boy that I coached, who was big, could be a workout partner for Daniel and Kane and some of those guys because we want you to come to AKA. So, you know, then it that was 2011. And then after I think about the first six months I was there, I didn't say six words. I think Javier Mendez said in a podcast he did about me, he said that I just thought she was some lady who loved wrestling and she was sitting there and she didn't bother anyone. So what do we care? He goes, then one day she jumped up and said, would you be, if are you trying to do what, what you're being Daniel? I think it was Daniel doing. He said, yes. And she said, would you be open-minded to doing this way and this way? And they're like, oh, that's 50% better than um, they'd learned it before. So, you know, that's, that's really how it went. It, it wasn't that smooth, <laughs> but um, that's really, that's really how it went. So I could come up with this muscle movement and the patterns remain the same, even for MMA. Um, the times 
you know, so aerobic and anaerobic thresholds are very key. A lot of times in these sports, you know, people are lifting and they're doing um, strength conditioning, but it's not really using the muscles that are in duress when you're stuck under bottom on a shot and you have to shoot, reshoot. So um, luckily for me, Roman Bowman at the UFCPI was kind enough to let me participate when one of my athletes, Alejandro Perez, was there. And I learned a great deal about a wattage and anaerobic threshold. So then I started to take the body leveraging movements that we put together and apply it to the, the logical time. So when we drill, we always make seven to 11 movements because seven, 11 to movements forward or backwards covers the entire space of the mat and forces the opponent to uh, you know go left or right as opposed to forward, backward, left and right, which you know that 50% reduction of where they're gonna possibly go increases your ability to attack effectively at that time. That, I get, you know, I don't know. I, it's, I don't know if that's what you want to hear. Or that, I mean, that's, that's exactly what I want to hear. There's, there's yeah. so many good pieces to draw, draw from there. What, one of my favorite things you said is if, if I was an engineer and I was failing, like some of these coaches was failing, I would get fired. And, and I, I, I love that approach. And I, I love that thought process because it is, it's like, like you got to get results like you got you got to be able to like pursue it that way or have a reason for why it didn't work you're like an engineer like it's it can't just be like oh it it didn't work oh that like the 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 design just didn't work that time you know like you just didn't you can't just throw it out like that like if you're an engineer like you said you're getting fired if you're an accountant and you fudge numbers like that you're you're getting fired from your job but as a coach like we 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 kind of give ourselves that freedom for for that to happen and and i i really really like that point and the other point that you mentioned is like the, the the so then it's like you you get to that point as a coach, like you, your athlete failed and it's like, or as a parent, and it's like, just try harder, like just do more, you know? And it's like, you said us wrestling is the, you, you brought that out so beautifully. It's like the private parts are out. Like there's a middle school kid in this single, like something that would be considered weird for like most people to walk around wearing. It's like, they, they are trying, like they, they, they want to be there. It's the same. Like I see it in college football all the time. It's like, these kids are spending 40 to 60 hours with the team practicing, doing films. Like, and this coach is like the coach's solution is the kids not trying hard enough. The kid's not doing, it's like, man, like he's literally dedicated. He literally came wherever from wherever the country to your school to go play football for you. Uh, and you're going to tell me like, he's not committed to what you're doing. It's like that you, he, he, you, he flew from Florida to Minnesota, the freezing winter. Like he wants to play football for you. Like, yeah. so you, you got that initial investment, like let's do something with that rather than just putting it back on the athlete because you don't want to take blame yourself as a coach. It's interesting. You say that. I think that um, what's important to understand about what happened to me, I never coached or even was in a wrestling room until I was 42 years old. And at that time I had um, worked successfully and I'd just been through a series of changes. I'd recently divorced and then both my parents had died, you know, one year after the other. And I was living in Palo Alto and I didn't necessarily have to get right back in the workforce. So, you know, when I walked across the street, basically to Palo Alto with my son, you know, I had an opportunity to think about what I was seeing. And a lot of these coaches, a lot of high school and middle school coaches they do not have that opportunity. They're not getting off in the summer and someone's saying, hey, here's three grand. Why don't you go to Jeff Jordan or Carolyn Wester or, or Daniel Cormier or, or whomever? They're, they're not getting that opportunity, but it doesn't mean it's not available to them. So what happens, I think, is that people get wrapped up in the emotion of it and they want, um, you know, they want it to be something that it's not. And when when people come and work with me or I go and work with them and they feel 
the power of the body leveraging. And, you know, I literally take tape and a tape measure and you could show them where their athlete shots are increased by six, seven, eight feet in trajectory. The fact that they would have to do the body leveraging for 15, 20 minutes of the first of practice is something that they can't wrap their hand around. They're so bought into. And I think I heard coach Duffy say something similar on a podcast that I was listening to your podcast is that they're so caught up in what they were taught and how they think it has to be that they let go of the opportunity. But in actuality, if you teach all your athletes how to use their body better, one, they're going to be 40 to 60% better at what they've already been taught. And that gives hope to kids. Kids are out there and they're trying to make people happy who are they're dependent upon for food, love, shelter, their parents. They're trying to make these people happy. They know what their parents are paying. They know what they're sacrificing. If they don't have a good relationship with their parents, then they want love and affection from their coaches. And so having the constant answer be, you're the problem is not one, probably true, but two, you know, too helpful for anybody involved. So once you get a kid to understand how to use their body correctly, and then you go to teach them something, they can get it immediately because they already know what muscles to use in order to use their body effectively to make the, the shape and the structure necessary for wrestling. So that initial investment, they don't want to make. Coaches don't want to change. And if they do change, they think it's straight lifting and it's not because it has a different effect on the on the aerobic and anaerobic thresholds. Yeah. And, and I, I love that one of the points that you, you made is what I think one of the, the persons said, like in your in your comments was like, I, if I go to wrestling, I, I, I came here to wrestle or something like that. And I loved your 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 response. It was, it was a little sassy. But it was like you handled it so perfect it was like they, they spend like 10 minutes here and then we wrestle for 100. And that's the same. Like we do. We do a lot of like movement. Yeah, I think I said to him, and you're welcome to come. Yes, yes. And I'm sincere. You know, I'm not being a sassy pants. I mean, I it's it would be very easy for me to answer back and say, mm, you know, how many how many UFC fights have I cornered as the chief corner that we won? How many athletes are recorded saying that I made significant difference? How many D1 matches? I'm the only woman to ever corner a D1 match. How many, you know, I'm the only woman to be a chief corner in the UFC that's a coach um, besides Nina, uh, um, Amanda's wife, but that, um, but I, w- I was actually before her, you know, how many are you? I mean, I could blow them away with facts and it, what they can't argue it because they could Google it and it's there, but that's not going to help anybody. That's not going to make them. Anybody is welcome to come wrestle with us. They can come to our coaches camps. They can do anything they want. Right. And I'm going to treat them the same if they, if they, you know, are polite. If they're not polite, it's another thing, but people, they, they want to, I don't know what makes somebody want to comment um, so forcefully on something that somebody else is just discussing. I mean, right. What, what is that? What kind of low self image is that? I mean, a lot of people will write things, especially around me is, oh, she's old. She's this. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. That's what happens as time goes on. You know, right? That's it. You caught me. But if you want a hand fight with me, why don't you call Cormier or Cejudo or or Kane or Andre Fialu or any of those guys, Habib, and ask them what it's like when I put my hands on you, right? So they they just want to make these comments. And I don't know what it does for them. I hope it benefits them in some way. But it just shows them as being um, 
you know, a lot of opportunity to grow, I think, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I, I, I've been seeing a lot of it too, especially as like, we, we, we're more active on Instagram and we're doing more of those things, but it's like, the, the thing is like, one of the things that I found so cool is like the, the body leveraging stuff, like you said, we do it for 10 minutes. Like we do it for 10 minutes. So we, we, and we do this a lot of like our moving options and a lot of our play-based stuff. And we do the same thing. It's like 10 minutes for, and for a lot of American football players, it's literally just getting their bodies to move in a different way or understand a different way to move their bodies. And then, then we'll push them into more, let's say like, like you said, hundred minutes of wrestling, hundred minutes of more agility for, for a wide receiver or something along those lines. But what are you getting out of those 10 minutes with the body leveraging and, and what's, What's kind of your focus and intent with that body leveraging for those 10 minutes? Because that 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 is some of the coolest stuff that I've seen. Like I said, I've taken so much stuff and and added in even with all of our like American sport like athletes, because I just find like they're the ability for them to move and understand their body in that way. And I and I know you have a deeper understanding of that 100 percent. But just for for like the typical American football players, like, man, they, they haven't done anything like that, like getting them out of just like on racking and racking a barbell and like like their sport requires them to move in so many different ways their sport requires them to move another human obviously a little di- different than than wrestling but i mean th- their job like especially an offensive lineman like your job is to move another human not to move that barbell not in the straight line and perfect line and and we'll do those things and we'll work on strength and we'll work on power capacities but like understanding your body and understanding the the capacity of your body has been so huge for a lot of these players. So what what's kind of your approach with that body leveraging and how are you approaching that with, with your wrestlers and combat athletes? Sure. So I think the best thing, the best way to describe it was before your time, but since my time, JC Penny used to have this whole system called Granimals. So you would go to the store and if you bought a pair of pants, would have a giraffe and then you would go over to the shirts and all the shirts that had a giraffe on them, you know, matched the pants you wanted to buy. <laughs> really? it, it was like a mix and match situation, right? To help everybody, you know, get dressed. So for me, I would watch athletes trying to do certain movements. Um, cafe hamstring, heel, toe, knee is what I call it. So when I teach somebody that movement, then I teach them every piece of technique that goes with that movement. And what they soon realize is where before they, if you said to them, we're going to practice 20 pieces of technique and drill them each a hundred times today, they would be overwhelmed and flabbergasted because in their mind, each one of them is a different for a different situation with emotion. But I'm like, it's the same as body leveraging piece. Number one applies to all this technique. So we don't have to drill all that technique. We can just do the body leveraging and maybe we'll do two pieces of that technique today, but it applies to all of it. So it's really cool when you have people come, especially youth or fighters that have never wrestled before. And they're like, I'll never be able to do this. I'm asked, I'm like, you will, and you, yeah, I promise you will. And so once they apply it to the way they've been moving and they have more success and then they see all the way, like Andre Fialu, he could do all the body leveraging, all of it. I think I started with him when he was 20 and uh, he's got to be 27, 28 now. And so they see Andre doing this advanced movement and I'm like, you're going to, it's going to apply to all those pieces of striking, takedown, everything that he's doing, it's going to apply to you too. And it's it's kind of a cool situation because they feel hope and excitement. It's not one more clinic where somebody, whether it's a professor in jujitsu or in wrestling, they throw they or striking. You know, they say this is how I do it, so you need to do it this way now. And I'm like, what technique do you like to use before I even show them? Because see, initially, initially Austin, everybody said you need to learn everyone else's technique. I'm like, mm, I think I can make all their technique better, but I don't want to learn it because I'm not sure. It's the best math-based movement. Just like if someone said, 
you need for when my children were getting their first cars and someone said, you need to buy this tire for this car because it's what I say. I'm like, I think I'm going to read consumer reports first and make a decision. So before I accept a piece of technique as fact, I am going to try it against the best math-based body position and movement and sequential muscle order. And if it doesn't line up, I'm going to throw it out. And so once somebody understands that this is like a shortcut this way, instead of just learning by situation in a six minute match where somebody can move 15 times every 20 seconds, how many situations is that? And you want a kid to memorize that? They, they feel overwhelmed. They can barely, you know, remember to get their backpack and put their <laughs> homework in it. I mean, sincerely. And these young fighters, they're sort of the same, you know, they're not, they're not prepared. They don't know what, what it's going to be like. So that's, uh, that's really how that whole body leveraging starts. And as soon as someone is, they'll say, coach, I said, what, well, here's the big one, like right off the bat, what percentage of yours, what, what shots do you do in the first period? And what percentage of those do you finish blank? Like no clue. No one has said, Hey, Austin, in the first period, you tend to do these low singles. You're only completing 20%. You know, you're getting sprawled on really quickly. Maybe we can find a way to either extend the shot. So you enter their circumference and take control of it. And, and then therefore put your opponent on your back, or maybe there's a way to get your another leg forward where you could do a better shot. Right. And then they get excited because nobody's teaching them that all they're hearing is you're not, you don't have angle you're not going fast enough. You're not working hard enough. You're not eating well. They probably aren't, but they're not <laughs> eating well. And um, you know, it's uh, it's the truth of the matter, like really just a, cut to the chase of my coach mentor, Javier Mendez is my mentor, Daniel Kane, all those guys, they're my peers. Javi's my mentor. And I tell you, 95% of the conversation I have with Javi is Javi telling me the mistakes he made in the last two months, four months, 20 minutes since we spoke last and what he's doing to change that to be better. It is never, rarely ever someone else's fault. And people see Javi and they think he sort of, I don't know what the quite the word is, not wishy-washy, not, he's just self, uh, you know, self-searching, but he's right. And for coaches, it's our, it's our responsibility. It's my responsibility to communicate in a way that the person I'm coaching understands. It's not a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, 22-year-old, 30-year-old's responsibility to understand me. It's mine to communicate with them. And I'm the one who needs to apologize if they're not getting it. It's my shortcoming. It is not theirs. Sometimes there's other factors, you know, but but truly that's it. So when you're when you're trying to be that person, when you're trying to be Javier Mendez, like I am, I it's uh, you know, it's 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 hard to get um to get uh, upset when a kid doesn't do well or an athlete doesn't do well. And we've had Javi and I've been in the corner together. Me and Javi and Habib have been in the corner together. And Javi and I are looking at each other, the fighters not doing anything we're suggesting. None of us, none of us. And we're like, you know, we're doing the best we can. But when it's over, you know, we, want, we might say, you know, we were saying this and you didn't hear us. But, but that's not where the problem started. The problem started when I was working with them in the room and I didn't convince them that this might be the best path. That's where, or I didn't hear them say, I'm never going to do that coach. So we need to work on this instead. And that's, and body leveraging just makes that better. It just makes it, it just makes it easier. And um, 
I, uh, I remember the first time I ever went to watch Striking. I asked Javi if I could come watch Striking at AKA. And he talks about it in a podcast on Javier Mendez podcast. And he said to um, the interviewer, they were asking about it. He said, well, she came and watched. And then afterwards, she said, Javi, if I understood you correctly, you said this and this and this. And he said, literally, it was 20% better than I'd ever instructed anybody in my career. As a, as a world champ kickboxer, she saw it in a way that I never, never could see it. And I think that's something I've tried to protect in myself is not to get overly involved in other people's um, technique or when people try to break down what I'm doing and saying, you're really doing a Gene Mills half or you're doing this, probably, maybe, maybe Gene Mills knew the exact math-based way to do uh, half correct, you know, half most effectively, but I did not learn it from them. I've never, I've never done any of that. There's there's so many good points there. And one, one of the things that you said was, like that that open communication, if it's failing in the ring, it, like it, it's this ultimate acceptance as a coach and, and as as an athlete, too. It's like the ultimate acceptance of he's not because what you could say, like if he's not doing anything you say, you could say like, well, I taught him this. like So and he didn't listen. So whatever. But you're like you took it even a step back and you're like, I, I taught him, but he didn't listen. He didn't listen. I, I wasn't portraying my message well enough, you know, but taking again, taking the emotion out of it and, and taking the ego out of it so you can actually make progress because like all of these, I, I try to think about it in like this data point way. It's like, it's all data points. Like if it didn't work, it's it's a data point. It's a data point. Use that data point. Don't throw away that data point. And um, I know, I know it probably happens in the wrestling world, but in American football world, it's terrible. Like data points for failures is, is horrible. Like it's, they're just thrown away. Like it's thrown away. You weren't mentally tough. Um, you weren't mentally tough. You weren't conditioned, like whatever it is, like you, you dropped that ball. It was luck, whatever it was, but we throw away those data points rather than look at it. Like that really deep self-reflection on truly why didn't it work? And, and that's not to say you're going to completely fix it in the future, but at least you can use that data point to steer it in the right direction in the future, steer it in the right direction in the future, rather than just next time we step on the field, it's going to be luck again, because we, we never actually addressed well, the issue. Well, that's, well, that's exactly right. And that's, what's unforgivable to me. I heard coach Duffy say in the podcast with you about conditioning and how, you know, athletes will say, well, I went for a 10 mile run and, and I'm with him. We don't, we don't really run not very often, um, rarely, but we do, you know, body leverage very quickly. And then the, uh, the athletes put on boots, and five pound weights on each leg. So everything that you saw, Chris, who you just met a few minutes ago, everything you see Chris do, he also does it with five pound weights and military boots on all of it in the air, everything, everybody does. And they drill all their shots and they drill their bottom work. And that's how we get in shape. Mm. And then they have more time to actually peak. So, so many of these kids are taught that they're supposed to be as small as possible. And I don't think what parents and coaches hear, when you say to a kid, you need to be smaller to win this weight, to win this. You're really saying you're not very good. So uh, like, for example, with Chris, since we're talking Chrissy, since we're talking about him, he prefers to go by Chrissy. When we're talking about Chrissy, you know, when he first um, well, started working with him, he always felt like he had to be smaller, but he struggled to, he struggled with, with the weight. And I, I'm like, why don't we just get great at the weight you are? What is that? Why do that? I mean, that's the thing. And when kids hear parents say, well, if you're just a lower weight class, you would have won. Do you not think I'm good? Do Am I not good? Wait, you need to run more. These kids are trying to do schoolwork and athletes are trying to, I mean, it, it takes a lot of effort to be these people. Now, sometimes people just 
I'm going to segue just a second, but I'm going to come back. So a lot of times when I meet men my age, they, as soon as they find out what I do, they say to me, I don't look like a fighter. Why would you want to go out with somebody who wasn't a fighter? Well, one, I'm their coach. Two, I'm significantly older than them, even though I don't think everybody always really understands how old I am. But the truth of the matter is there's a certain amount of narcissism that has to be part of being those athletes. Like it's not a, a get up in the morning. Well, what am I going to do? I think I'll walk and get a bagel and then, you know, I'm going to go look at the pigeons and feed the fish. You know, they're up they're at cryotherapy. They're, you know, we're trying to get the right food down their body. It's an endless self inter self-facing component that is extremely hard. So when you say to someone, you know, you need to lose more weight or gain more weight or whatever, or if you just aren't working hard enough, all your tell, or you tell these kids, you can't go to this tournament because you might not win it. Well, how am I going to know where I really am if I don't get my ass kicked, right? It's just, it's just taking away. So anytime you can do body leveraging and you do it fast, your cardio fitness, I mean, when you, when you move seven to 11 times and seven of the 11 movements requires you to take your body weight off the ground and rotate it 360 degrees, um, that's going to be better than a four mile run especially with your aerobic and anaerobic threshold in your wattage needed. So initially when I would watch fighting, Angel Cejudo, Henry's brother is my dear friend. And Angel asked me when I was um, doing a fight at uh, cornering a fight in the UFC at, in Phoenix, if I would come to a clinic at fight ready and he wanted me to meet him. And we, the night before we're cutting weight over at fight ready. I had Alejandro Perez with me. We're cutting weight. And Henry was not enthusiastic to spend quality time with the woman coach who never wrestled. We'll just say that. So Henry is like, we're all, we, Angel and I and Henry are sitting next to each other doing an interview. And Henry's like this, you know, looking up at the far corner, like he didn't want to be there. But the next, we went to the fight and the next Sunday I came over to do the clinic and I started coaching and I maybe coached 10 minutes and he said, stop. Someone else start coaching these other kids. I want her to come help me. And I was able to tell him some things uh, about his last, last fight with Demetrius Johnson that um, I think impacted his training for the next fight. And so part of that was the amount of movement he did consecutively. You might've noticed in MMA, a lot of times people, you know, will strike twice, back out. They'll they'll do a little bit of jujitsu. As soon as somebody gets a guard, you know, they'll back out instead of consecutively moving seven to 11 times. And when I asked Henry why he didn't do that, he said, I don't feel strong there. And I knew that was a wattage issue. That's a, that's a conditioning issue. That's a body leveraging, using your muscles in duress, similarly, not lifting weight, but similarly to how you would use it when you're trying to take propel your body across the ring, you know, and with a certain amount of trajectory and force. So I think Henry went out and saw it at, out Neuroforce and spent some time at the UFCPI with uh, Roman. And then, I don't know, it was a couple of, it was after Henry beat Demetrius. And it was the fight where Ben Askren, uh, I mean, where Mazdaval need uh, need Ben. I had a guy on that card, you know, back in the room at the green room afterwards, where all the fighters have to go sit together and eat and all this stuff. And Henry was running through with his belt and they were trying to get him to hustle. And he said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I need to talk to coach. And he said, coach, if you had told me as a male Mexican in front of everybody, Johnny Walker was sitting next to me. If you told me that a woman who had never wrestled as a Mexican male would 
changed my perspective on my combat sports, I would have said you were crazy, but you did. You changed my career for me. You helped me change my career. Helped me change my career. Helped me change my career. Yeah. And I think that's what, um, you know, that's what's really so important. The body leveraging and what we're doing does not have to be change somebody's whole program. It requires some effort and it's going to take some effort when your guys come back to get them, guys and girls, to get them to do the body leveraging. But once they get it, it's like an astronomical increase in success of the athletes. And it's the same thing true in fighting. You know, Ron Kessler now is the head coach at AKA, as it's obvious, handling you know, the Dagestanis. And um, I'm not sure if they're calling it Eagle or what they're calling it now, but you know, Javi does a lot of that stuff. But Ron Kessler tells people all the time, just, just do what Carolyn, just do it, what Carolyn sees. You know, it'll make you so much better. But people don't want to, there's, I don't know if it's they think because they've done it for so long a certain way, that entitles them or is going to guarantee them success, or if they're willing just to let a little bit of it go to try something new. Maybe it's like, you know, you date someone a really long time and you could tell there's problems over the years and you're like, I've just put so much time into this. I think I need to try to make it happen. And then when it doesn't, you meet somebody who's a little bit better. You're like, oh, this is so much better. And you let that other stuff go. You know, you let that past relationship go and maybe pursue the new one. And sometimes I think in sports, it's hard for people to just go, I'm going to cut this section out. I'm going to forget it. I'm going to put this new section in it. Initially, it's going to take this much time. Then it's go down to this much time. But in terms of success, it's like that straight up. And it's hard for people, people to get. And I, I wonder, I had a, I, there's a, there's a pretty well-known entrepreneur who wrestled for me named Cooper Newby. And they were asking Cooper how he became so successful. And one of, one of the things he did, he did all these series of podcasts for us. He said, I ran my meetings with my staff the way Carolyn used to run her banquets, the way she would talk to us after practice, how she included all of us, how she accepted responsibility for what's going on. And my background is in venture capital and startup, you know, where you have to put all this effort in at first and then the hockey stick goes up in business. And I, and I suspect that that played a large part in my understanding or how I um, risk assessed what could happen once we got that body leveraging going. Yeah, that that that's so awesome. And one of the things that I love is you're talking about the the cardiovascular aspect and the strength aspect that comes from this this movement. And and that that's what coaches specifically in the strength world, and that that's where I'm at. Like with these strength coaches, is like if if there's not a barbell, if there's not a dumbbell, if there's not like a specific weight and wattage that they can like look at and measure and see in their head because it's all they know. Like, and that's the another thing. It's like, it's all they know. Like the beautiful thing that you, and uh, there's so many good coaches that come in. It's like, I didn't have a background in this. Every time a coach tells me that, I'm like, yes, this is going to be so good because you can see it for kind of what it is. And when you, when you get brought up in the way, and it's not like throw out all the science, throw out all the textbooks, whatever, but when you get brought up in the meathead like cscs textbook way it's like it's you get stuck in this way of like there's something blatantly wrong with what was written in the textbook and you see it in front of your eyes but you you can't you can't like you can't get out of your own head because it was told to you so you're like repeating these mistakes and it creates these paradoxes all over the place it's like well that person a big thing is with with play or like movement it's like that person just just rolled and stood up or and think of the force that that required or that person did that 10 times in a row. Think of the, the cardiovascular, but that it wasn't running for them. It wasn't the certain amount of volume for them. So they can't see movement as strength training. They can't see which is crazy, too, because like I had a, um, a Greco wrestler that was training for the uh, Olympic trials and, and 
never almost never lifted. It was the one of the strongest. Like he could, he was, I think he was 126 pounds and could pick. I'm 230. He could pick me up like nobody's ever picked me up before. It was the most <laughs> insane thing. It's like you're gonna tell me that dude that doesn't strength train isn't strong and you're going to tell me what got him to that point wasn't strength training because it wasn't a barbell you know like i'm like go look at this like go look at these athletes go have an at like the way his grip and the way he picks me up i was like that is insane like if we had football players these he was 126 pounds like we have 230 pound football players that can't pick me up that way can't tackle me the way he tackled me you know like so it's it's like this paradox that if, if it's not with a barbell, if it's not something that's super trackable, we, we we really struggle to see what's in front of our eyes, which is strength training, which is cardiovascular training, which is sports performance. We're preparing the body for the demands of the sport. Right. And, and that's what's hard for people to understand. So uh, one of the one of the things that's true about uh, me and what we do is that I am very strong, but I don't lift. I lift people, but I am abnormally strong. Um, and I eat for, I eat for muscle. I eat a lot, probably 180 grams of vegan protein a day in either liquid or, you know, in beans or whatever. But the athletes that I work with, so many of them, you know, come back and say, gosh, you know, this made this so much better. Or they'll be with me in the summer and they're, they'll be like, my high school coach hates you. And I'm like, why? I've said, I've never met him. I said, I'm not really, I'm pretty hard to hate. So probably, you know, they're mad at themselves, but if you just go and do this well, and they'll, they'll tell everybody they invented it. So, you know, let them, I mean, who, who cares? You just need to go do these things, but people, I don't, I, I don't understand what it is, but it's not helpful. It's not helpful to reject something because it's foreign to you. It's it's not helpful. And I think if people would provide some introspection to themselves and go, how many times have I been rejected? Not have to be for sports and anything because I didn't fit what somebody else thought they saw in me, you know? And that's frustrating. And I think a lot of people, so sometimes people will make comments about me on, um, you know, things I've posted and, you know, there'll be some guy who's been lifting his whole life and he looks a certain way and he's angry. He's angry that this woman who is in an age protected category, you know, can do something that they can't do because they feel entitled because they made the effort to make themselves look one way or be one way. And it, and they, and they don't put the past them. And it's so terrible because really math-based movement, body leveraging, putting this all together, being able to break it down. I mean, it is monumental how much better people get, athletes get. And there, and people have become, you know, overseas to Europe. I've been to Argentina, Brazil. I mean, I've been everywhere, Croatia, you know, all over the world. And there's no way these fighters and athletes would have me come coach them if I didn't know. But there'll be a guy off the street or a woman off the street who just doesn't want to believe it. And uh, and it's a uh, and it's a combination of having never done it, my age, and um, that they they don't believe that their future is ever going to be any different. Yeah. They're stuck. So, you know, I'm like, just jump on this bandwagon, right? We'll body leverage our way, you know, to more, you know, math-based success. So there've been so many people who've come through and have wrestled with me their entire careers. And I get no pushback from the major college coaches. I, in fact, I just recently had a call from um, a top 10 team and the coach said, I have an athlete. I really need him to come spend time with you before he enters his college program. He needs to be learned to move the way uh, you move, the way you have, the way you have moved. And Chris, Chris, you just saw, you know, he's 15 years old. He just turned 16 last week. He's freaky. Well, he's been doing this with me since he was seven. 
And his, uh, he, um, people will say to me all the time, they used to say it about Jesse Vasquez and Josh Saunders, Aaron Gandara, and they would say, oh, well, they're just a freak athlete. No, they just are adhering to the movement that they've been taught because it's unfamiliar to you. It has to be that they're athletic. Couldn't be something that you didn't know or that you weren't open to. Now, some people truly, they don't know what body leveraging is. They see someone like Aaron Gandara, Chris, Chrissy or uh, Ben Harder or one of these athletes doing all these things, Drew Morgan, and they're like, wow, that's that's freaky, right? But people who've been around have seen me at tournaments for 18, 17, 18 years, seen me in the finals, coached against me in the semis, seen me in the corner of the UFC where, you know, I, I typically don't see them, right? They are the ones who say it has to be athleticism. But in fact, they know what it is. If you're at a tournament early, you see all the athletes with me doing all of this, then they run off to their respective club coaches and do their thing, right? If you come to a fight week, you know, and you're at the UFCPI, you're going to see us in there doing all this movement. And then, you know, when they go in the fight, sometimes I'm in the corner, sometimes I'm not, I don't really care. But the truth is, it's not athleticism, it's adherence to sequential muscle order that they apply to everything. So when you're using your body in a sequential muscle order that's been tested against the technique that you're using against somebody that I coach and their ability to use their body is a half a second quicker and the distance covered is shorter because they're making a straight line instead of circling, that's just facts, right? So, you know, they don't want to hear that. And, and that's okay. I'm not mad at them for it or anything, but we would have a lot more effective wrestlers and a lot more effective athletes in a lot of sports if people would just grab onto that and let it and let it be. Yeah. And, and this this is the cool thing too. It's like it's not like you have one athlete doing no. those doing those moves. Like this that that that's the part that I thought was really awesome. It's like you <laughs> one of the videos you had like 30 athletes doing this stuff. It's like 30 athletes doing what every single other person in the world would look at and be like there's there's no way that's possible. There's no way. But when you have it, when you, it's not just one, it's not just one. You were just gifted with a phenomenal athlete. It's not just two. It's like you have thirty. You have thirty high schoolers doing this. Like where cool. in the world are you going to find thirty just absolute like division one born division one people? You know that that are doing this stuff. No, it's like that's how I know it's your principles. Cool. It, it's your and methods that you're working with. And last summer we had over four hundred kids from twenty three states and two foreign countries. I mean, we've had summer programs. If you go on our Facebook page, there are literally over 75,000 photos. Of, there'll be there'll be hundreds and hundreds, hundreds of athletes. And a couple of years ago, I was at the, maybe the last chance qualifier for the Olympic trials. And Drew Morgan and I, Andrew Morgan, who wrestles for the Spartan RTC at Cornell, we're, I'm cornering him. And there was another coach there who had been one of his coaches at Campbell. And he was in the corner too. And um, he was... He's a nice guy, but he doesn't really know me. And he and I'm saying something to Drew, and he's I don't want to say he's yelling over me, but he's trying to correct me a little bit. And I said to him, I said, You see, you see these eight mats here right now on this mat, and all eight of those mats, I've coached one of the athletes on there. And he looked at me, and sure enough, like they kept they would fall off past us. Hey coach, hey coach. Like people don't really know how many people have been affected by body leveraging that participate in wrestling right now in combat sports. And if you look at video of the guys out of AKA in their fights, and you look at body leveraging that I taught prior to going there, you see it, you see it. And that's, um, and that the beauty of that is, it's just those 14 sequential muscle uses is, is exponentially beneficial for, for so many, 
There's so many things. I mean, I'm sure when they invented penicillin, and I'm not saying I'm a doctor or body leveraging is equivalent of a life-saving medicine, but when they first invented a medicine, they weren't going, let's gather 27 diseases together and we'll find one medicine. They used it on one thing. And then over time, they found out what else it was applicable for. But we know that the body leveraging sequential muscle order, the type of work that Roman does at the UFCPI, the kind of work they do at Neuroforce, some of the concepts Coach Duffy was saying, we know that those are factual and true. And it, it really should be embraced because the more opportunity there is for athletes to participate in a sport where you go out there and there's no pre-genetic disposition, there's no gender bias, all things being equal, you weighed the same four hours ago and nobody else can you can hand the ball to you and you can't blame somebody else for striking out. And if you stall, you're going to give the opponent points and um, it's up to you. The more athletes, the more people we have um, coming through a sport like that, the the better off everything is for everyone around us, in my opinion. Yeah. And that's, and that's what's so, what's so interesting, you know, for me is that I came from a background where my parents were involved in national politics, state politics from Kentucky, where we're from national politics. My mom's family owned a military school, Greenbrier military school and Greenbrier junior college. My dad's great grandfather owned Wester female college, which is now Virginia Marymount in Bristol, Virginia. And, um, you know, I came from this whole family of people trying to serve and help others. And this to me is better than any political campaign I could have run or used my risk assessment, math-based skills, which I use for this. I could have used that in anything in politics, but well, this is the best. This is the best, you know, and, and I watch those fighters and, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I love to strike. Do you ever, do you know Daniel at all, Cormier? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I, I don't know ever, him, but I know him from yeah videos and stuff. You meet yeah. him, you meet him, you should ask him, say, have you ever seen Carolyn punch a grown ass man in the face? I remember him telling that. Like, I mean, I'm me. Like, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll knock you hard. But um, this, this, this sport, being able to use your body correctly, playing chess with your mind, making your body be able to do it, man, what an empowering, uh, what an empowering piece of experience you could apply to so many things in your life, right? So, you know, I'm all for it. You know, I'm not, I, I, when people say, I don't, uh, I don't want wrestling to die or, you know, you live for wrestling. I, I guess I, you know, I do my whole life is around wrestling, of course, and in combat sports and, and those things, but I just want them to have the success of the effort to the finish. Right. And that great thing, you know, is like high tide raises all ships. Adam Tirafelli, who I uh, admire greatly said to me once, I asked him, I said, when Clovis was consecutively the state champs in, in California, I said, when are you going to change your program? He goes, as soon as we get beat. And then his brother's team, Buchanan, started beating them. And sure enough, man, Adam morphed that machine. And now they're back you know, at chasing each other again. And I think that is the best, right? I think that's the best. And so I want everybody to use math-based movement um, and body leveraging and sequential muscle order. I wish, you know, sometimes I was in uh, New Jersey. I wish I could remember the name of this strength gym. They were so cool. And I was talking to, um, he was, he was asking me what I saw, but he was applying, um, terminology that he learned obviously in an academic program. And I do not have an academic background in, uh, movement or, or sports science or anything. It's just what I see in my head. And he said to me, it was so interesting. He goes, there's nothing like the power of an autistic view. And I do have, I do have a lot of learning 
differences. I do have, you know, things that, you know, quirks and ticks that other people don't have, but I see this, you know, I see this sport um, and the body leveraging and the movement in a way that historically has been effective. And, you know, I just want to share it and do it and do it and give it to as many people that is possible that are interested in learning. Yeah, that that that's that's so freaking awesome. And one of the things I, I got a couple of rants I want to go on here, but some one of the things that you mentioned is like they they talked about how oh you're just doing this, oh you're just doing that, and it's kind of like you're seeing same and different things and getting the same results, uh, but just saying it in a different way. And for a lot of coaches, and I'm you're also seeing it like deeper in a different level. But for some things, it's like you can see it the same exact way, teach it the same or teach it a little bit differently, but you're seeing the same thing, saying the same thing, but you're, you're saying it in a different way. And a coach with that academic background, you see this in like in strength conditioning, super bad. It's like you, you say it's not this, you don't have that academic background. So they'll write you off instantly. It's like, well, she she's saying the same thing as you. She's getting better results. You know, like maybe we shouldn't write that off right away because she's not talking about like the 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 specific insertions and origins of the muscle in that point like she she she's getting results like I, I think we need to like stick with that part of it and, and I think that's super important but we have a lot of this the, the listener is going to kill me if I don't ask this so we have a lot of sports performance coaches we have a lot of American like team sport coaches listening to this podcast they they are listening they they they're, they're, they're in in deep into what we're talking about right now how can they grab this stuff and start implementing it like what what are some of the things that they can do body leveraging with their athletes to start implementing some of these um some of the some of these methodologies that you're kind of talking about how think how can they actually use these with their athletes and and work on these things with their athletes how can they or what would it be congruent for in their sport both both what 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 are some what are some things that they can do that with their athletes right now and, and like kind of program maybe, maybe more of the tangible the tangible that they can grab and be like okay i need i need to do i need to experience what she's talking about how can they experience that with their athletes and what are some of the things that they can have their athletes do um to, to work on some of these body leveraging components well i think the initial thing the initial component that's the most evident is where the weight placement is of the athlete while they're participating in the sport. So in most, in most cases, when the trajectory is forward movement, they have too much weight in their front leg, front, front, the front part, and not enough in the back to be able to push off uh, in an effective way, whether they're run walking or they're, you know, trying to catch the ball or striking, right? That is a, that is a big component. So there's a very simple body leveraging sequence we do, which we, which we call it you know, front somersault shoot, but really it's engaging your calf and hamstring heel over toe. It's just a movement. Um, you know, we've not done a good job because I'm more wrapped up in the success of uh, the success and opportunity of high school athletes and fight camps. We have not put together any comprehensive methodology to teach from online for people. So normally what people do, if they want my help in, in something, they'll reach out to me and then I'll talk to them for a little bit, look at some film, and then I'll have two or four of my athletes. We'll put together like six or seven basic movements and send it to them in video and have them try it and see what happens. A lot of people just have me come in. If I'm there for a couple of days, it's easy, you know, 48 hours in a place or, you know, watching six hours a day of um, in any sport. It, I'm, I'm usually able to put together something pretty quick that's effective immediately for them with some, you know, with some long-term, with some long-term goals. I never, I never thought, I mean, I never thought any of this was going to be like this. For me. I didn't know 
had no idea. I was just open at the time, you know, when I found it. So for somebody to want to work with it, you know, I suggest that they reach out to me. We, we do do, we do do coaching camps in the summer, but um, it's to put something together and to start to get their athletes to move. And then once they start making this movement, kind of the beautiful part is sometimes when people to have people drill things in any sport, they have a, a the coach has a, a vision in their mind of what the movement should look like. And the athlete has a vision. So in yoga, I do a lot of yoga and um, I'm not very, you know, I don't, I'm not the picture perfect yoga person. And my, my instructor always says, don't imagine what you think this should be looking like and judge yourself for it. Just use your muscles. How she doesn't use say that word muscles, but she means that, you know, use your body this way and just see what comes of it. So a lot of times when people try to teach their athletes strength conditioning or or movement, they have a vision of what it should look like, whether or not it be successful. But sometimes I'll have an athlete come and they'll be ter- they'll they'll look like they're terrible compared to, you know, Andre or Chrissy or somebody. But in actuality, they're contracting their calf and using their hamstring the way I want. And even though it doesn't make this picture perfect movement that garners so many likes on Instagram or TikTok, they're still getting better. Mm-hmm. And that's what's hard to get people to buy into because they all feel that it has to look like it's per- picture perfect the very first time. And that's not true. And one of the things we try to tell people is like, like literally I've had fighters tell me before, you can no longer bare knuckle punch me. Like I'm too strong for them. And it's not because I lift, I don't lift. It's because I'm consciously using my muscles in the correct order. And I know how to leverage my body to make that work. So I get that no matter if you're my age and you look like me, and even though I'm not supposed to be able to do any of this stuff, I can, I get that somebody who's never, who doesn't look picture perfect is getting something from it. And once you can get a coach to to grasp that and an athlete makes the body leveraging movements and then they apply it to their sport and like, gee whiz, you know, I, I, I completed 60% more of my shots or I went this much faster or I feel supported or I was able to strike more effectively. Then that's, uh, you know, that's a really big, that's a really big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is that I what like you're you. asking me? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm answering. Oh, yeah. No, no. I, he, the, the rants are always awesome. I love them. Uh, and that, that, that rant is like not trying to force the athlete into your box as a coach, but allow them to kind of explore and, and direct in in their box as an athlete. And then that's a big part we talk about a lot on this podcast too. It's like one of the big issues you see, like you'll have this like 5'10", like meathead strength coach, like just buff strength coach. All he does is lift. He's a compressive base, like athlete, try to teach this like 6'9", beautiful basketball player to like squat. And like their squat, their body is literally like they're almost a different human than you are like as a 5'10 athlete. And you're trying to force them to do the same thing you're doing. Let me tell you something that I forgot to say from the very beginning. What I noticed immediately when I was at Stanford was the difference in the body type. So there would be a coach who had a long body and short legs trying to teach a, a teenager who had long legs and a short torso how to come off bottom. And I'm like, uh, can't you see <laughs> that that's, you know, that the technique you're using isn't congruent to that? But of course they don't see that because they weren't taught that way. But it's such a big component. So when we, when I do teach, when I do work with other people in other sports, or it's always 
if your body type is this, this is how you do it. If your body type is this, this is how you do it. And this technique, and when we do our little, not little, but our big consumer reports, a technique against body position, we we sort it out by long torso versus short torso. That, that That's freaking awesome. That, that, that's I'm awesome. Sorry, I should have said that from the beginning, but I- uh, Of course, of course you did now. Yeah, yeah, that that's so awesome. Like, like you said, the, the techniques are going to be so different, but we we just don't like we don't see that. And and a lot of it's like I, I just read Thinking Fast and Slow, and one of the main points of that right, book was great book. Yeah, one of the points of that book that I loved is like what you see is all there is, and it's like that tall. Let's say it's a short coach. All he knows is the the short body, you know, that short frame. And if you've never taken yourself out of understanding the way in which you see movement and the way in which you see solving movement problems in front of you is the the short torso, the short legs, the wider body. Uh you really will never start to understand that like that athlete sees the movement problem in front of you a different way and needs to solve it a different way. And you can you can as a short athlete or a short coach like or a wider coach or whatever it is, you can see it their way. You just have to allow yourself to do it. But like you said like most coaches it's like they don't even understand that they only see the world the way they see the world. Well, that's what I was saying before about it's my responsibility to see the world differently, to communicate in a way, you know, to communicate in a way that works, you know, that works for them. And that's, uh, that's really hard to get people to do. One of the big issues I see in striking training, and you've seen it too, it's, you know, when someone's holding pads and the other person is striking, you'll see that the, the coach holding the pads will start to bring their hands forward and they're, they're pumping the same speed as the athlete is. And then you'll see that fighter in a fight and they go to strike and they're here. And that's what they're used to doing. Like a compressed, compressed base instead of toosh all the way. And Javier Mendez, boom, hands back here. And that's when the athletes get in trouble. And when you try to explain to somebody who's holding mitts that it's going to be better for their athlete here, because when they're in the ring and they're at the distance they feel and they, and they're only used to striking this far, but the opponent is this much further and they have to lean and all their body weight goes forward. And in wrestling, you know, when people drill a certain way and then they, and then, and their opponent is a little bit further back, all their weight goes forward. Then they pass them by, you know, like they don't get that stuff because it feels cool. And I get it. It feels cool. Right. But it's really, it's really back. And I have all these pictures of Javier Mendez, you know, holding with Habib and then Habib holding for people. And they're always back. It's always back, yeah, but people don't, they don't, they don't see it, but I see it as clear as, as clear as day. Like that's going to be a problem. And, and that attention to detail and the small things too. It's like, that's something that I feel like a lot of people are not even looking at. Like it's because you said they're, they're feeling it or they, they've seen a hundred other coaches do that, but they're not even paying attention to the small details. I, I want to oh, go ahead. But they get this feedback from social media that, that that's uh when when they hear when they're when they hear bah, 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 and it's like oh that's cool that's cool that's cool but it, unfortunately that doesn't equate to a win or a paycheck anyway go ahead what were you gonna say yeah so I wanted to you you talked about that shoot and roll um as part of the the body leveraging uh, I was wondering if, if you, what was that for the somersault shoot yeah the somersault shoot yep do you what are some other movements that you have that are like your your principles your your core movements that uh that athletes can kind of experience. Certainly, certainly um, calf hamstring is a really underrated, underrated movement in how everybody moves. So, you know, everybody, if you're just walking forward, Austin, you know, you're going to contract your calf, hit your hamstring 
and then the other leg is going to go forward. So I used to watch and I'd, do, I'd say, why are you shooting with a flat foot? Because when you contract your calf and your hamstring, your body comes up and the other person could come in and underhook. If you need to take the person down and they're, you know, six feet tall and you need to be below a third, you need to be a third of their body height or below to knock them off their feet most effectively, then your trajectory needs to be straight. So you need a 90 degree angle between your calf and your hamstring, but your trail leg knee needs to be parallel to the mat when you're shooting and you need to contract all your weight in there. So a lot of people, when they shoot in wrestling, they just pick up their, they just fall to their knee, they fall to their knee. And really in actuality, our athletes, we do this thing called split run. They pull all their weight in their back leg and then they lift their lead knee and they push their heel forward and they use the calf and the hamstring off their back leg to move that whole structure forward. And that is a key component for striking, for basketball. I mean, I can see it when I watch people in other sports and it's how they take the structure of their body forward or to the side or backward uh, that they're missing, you know, they're missing their, you know, they're missing their movement. I think one of the other, one of the other uh, big factors is the order and the speed at which you can contract all a series of muscles in your body calf with, for me, it's calf, quad, transverse ab, hamstrings, sternum up, shoulder blades, not shoulder blades pinched together, almost as if you were had a bra on and there was thumbtacks in the back of the bra and you'd have to pull your shoulder blades back in order to keep the, you know, from getting stuck with thumbtacks in the bra, which is something my riding instructor used to do to me as a child. So <laughs> I'm you know, familiar with that, but the order in which you use your muscles and then how you contract your transverse ab and use your, use your hamstring muscles and your lower spine is really important, but people, people don't use their muscles in the correct order. So once you get that down, especially for a striker or somebody who's shooting something, throwing something, so I can stand in front of you. I do it all the time with people so they get it. I'll, I'll get some dad or someone who's, you know, bigger that doesn't mind me hitting them, you know, and I'll just, I'll just punch them as hard as I can, but I won't contract any muscle. I'll just bam. And then I contract all my muscles in the order, calf, squat, transverse, ab, hamstring, sternum up, shoulder blades, bam. And they're like, what the hey? <laughs> No, it's so much, it's so much stronger. And, it's, and so much, it's so much stronger in that, in that adherence to using, using the muscle in a certain way is uh, something that people don't do. And so they are, every bit of the body leveraging movement requires you to use your muscles in that way, or you can't effectively accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly what I was getting at as how, how you, how you train that or give feedback on that is, is it the internal or the internal, like talk about it? Or is it the external? Like you, you, you really can't accomplish the the movement problem I'm giving you if you're not doing this the correct way. Yeah. So usually we try to put for, 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 for fighters in, for fighters and wrestlers, for combat sport athletes, the feel, like when they can feel it and themselves. So I'll watch them, you know, they'll be doing, you know, say, say I'm down in, in Florida at, uh, at Henry Hoof's place and I'm watching somebody do something and I'll say, Hey, would you be open to doing it this way? And I said, go ahead and do it the way you've been doing it. Now, if you would contract that, you know, trail leg calf muscle and pull back with your transverse ab and, you know, tighten your hamstring here and let your heel slide in front, see how much farther your shot is. And then they do it. And they're like, I just knocked that person down. And I've never been able to even connect with. 
And then once they use their muscles in that order, so when they connect, they're not rolling, you know, rolling in and having a problem. But literally the first time when people are with me initially, athletes are with me initially, I immediately try to find a way for them to physically see that it's going to work for them. So whether it's just have them do a shot and measure it and then have them do the piece of body leveraging that would would be congruent to the shot then have them do the shot and they, and they moved eight feet further in their shot, then, then they're not, they don't really want to argue with me anymore. Not that they wanted to argue with initially, but you know, life's hard and you want to, you want to feel like the effort you're putting in is, is going to mean something. So as the coach, it's my job to make them feel that what I have to share is worthy of them. And I cannot say, Hey, just because, you know, you know, just because, you know, Chrissy wrestles with Habib at the UFCPI doesn't mean that this person has to automatically listen to me. It's mm-hmm. my job. It's my job to make them want uh, to to know what I believe I have that's going to make them better. And and that I want to uh, tie in. You, you said you have them do the movement and then you have them do a piece of body leveraging and then you have them do the movement again to show the yeah, result. So it activates all the muscles for them. So the, the piece of technique they're doing becomes so much better. So I have them do their own technique. Yep. And I'm like, hey, can you make this movement? Can you go backwards this way? Can you can you contract your muscles this way? Can you shift your weight from your from the front of your foot to the back of your heel and take your trail leg back while keeping a 90 degree angle in your back leg? Put that foot down there and push cap hamstring forward when you you know you go to shoot the basketball or whatever. And it'll be so much better because once they start doing that movement, once they start activating their muscles in order then they they realize that they can apply it. It's sort of, you know, you know how kids are. I don't know if you have kids, but you have ever had a kid and your kid needs a new, your son needs a new pair of pants and you're like, you need a pair of khakis. And they're like, ah, I want red corduroys or, you know, whatever, whatever's going on. And you're like, nope, you need the khakis because it goes with polo shirt for the Easter parade. It goes with a blue blazer for going to the country club. It goes with this, you know, and you're trying to convince them. Once, but but with body leveraging, once they do the movement and then I show them in their sport or in their, in what they're doing, combat sports or striking or kicking, how it's going to affect it. And then they do it afterwards. And it's so much better. They're like so excited because, (laughs) because all they've ever been told is just do it harder or you don't want it enough, or you've got to do it better or, you know, whatever the case is, right. That's what they're used to. So all of a sudden it's not their fault. Yeah, that 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 that's for that's freaking awesome, and that's, coach. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing, right? And then it's and then it's great. And, and a lot of times, people will send me video and film, and I have a program where I can break it down, and I can put in, I can pause it and put in video of body leveraging movements they can do that'll make that better. But usually, it's the same movement. Man, there's our dog Clay. <laughs> it's a cute <laughs> dog. Yeah, he, he likes to go to practice. Um, but he, uh, it it's usually just the same movement. But it's but it's evident in three or four different pieces of technique. So the regular coach says to them, "Oh, you you've got bad. You're not good in neutral. You're bad off bottom. You need to do this." But really, it's the same piece of body leveraging. So once they do it, and then they realize they can apply it to all those different techniques, man, they're so relieved and excited because it's not going back. A lot of people train athletes based on win to win, and I get it. That's how these coaches are paid, right? Especially now in pro sports where they're so quick to fire people or jump fight camps or whatever, you know, based. But really, if you're a dedicated coach, it's your responsibility to advance your athlete over time in the sport 
And then the tweaks for wins or losses needs to be less than 20% of the time. So if every time I had an athlete who lost a wrestling match or a fight and came back and said, I need to start all over, I'm like, I'm like, I don't really think that's it. I think we keep with this 60%. But in when we look at this part, this 40% of this win and loss, let's find the movements that you could have executed better that applied to those techniques. Let's find the common denominator and let's get better at that and keep what's already working well instead of throwing everything out and starting all over. But that's that's what people do. And they when they have the emotion of the loss and they're so traumatized and some coaches like, really what you need to do, you don't need so-and-so anymore. You need us or you don't need yep. that. We're not doing it right for you. They need to go, you know, or, you know, some, some donor UK basketball calls and says not that Calipari is going anywhere, but you know, they like, they call and say, I'm not going to give 2 million for the new stadium. If you don't do this. And that's, and that's, uh, that's something that people don't really get. So a lot of times people will come to me, athletes of all kinds, fighters, whatever. And what I'm doing is too hard or too different. They want to practice what they do well, and they don't want to do what they don't do well. Right. So I'm asking them to do something they've never done and they don't do it in their mind. Well, yet. And they, and they'll say, I, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm like, cool, whatever you want to do. I'm always going to treat you the same. Not always the parents that they're jackasses, but, but the, but the kids, I'm always going to be the same always. And then when they come back, you know, I just, I'm like, we just keep going like nothing, nothing ever happened. And they get it. The kids, the athletes, they get it. The fighters, they get it. You know, I'm always going to be effective and helpful for them. I don't have to be in the corner. I don't have to, you don't have to, I just, I could care less. Care, yeah. I, could, I could care less well and the, the, the use like you said and like and i see this a lot in uh the injury strength conditioning is a bit big into like the injury aspect too and that's exactly where like i, I talk about selling your poison you talk about like when somebody loses all these coaches come in like oh you need me it's like it's that's exactly where the selling the poison comes in it's like you get injured you, you lose a match something bad happens where you have that emotional response and it's like let's let's again go back to your approach of tactically and technically looking at why that happened and let's logically look at this um and then let's solve the problems from there and maybe it is we do have to change 20 percent. maybe it's we have to change 10 percent. maybe it's one percent whatever it is but then we can approach it rather than oh next bright thing oh somebody's telling me something and I, I just see it a lot and it's tough because the again it's the high school and college kids they want to win they want results they, they like they're, they're putting their heart and soul into this and then you have an authority figure come to them selling them this poison of like I, we're going to change everything. We're going to do this. Pay me. It's like, man, right. that is, that is exactly not it. It's like, as a coach, like, again, the long-term success of your athletes and, and, and the only way to do that is to really break down what actually happened rather than again, selling them what, what you want them to buy and then fitting them into your box. And then when they right. lose getting rid of that athlete, because the next person that's going to sell them something comes along. Right. And it's uh it's almost criminal because at the end of the day, not everybody's going to win. It, you know, it's yeah. sort of like the recruiting process when people say, well, this coach has been so nice to me. I'm like, they're paid to be rejected. That's recruiting. You're paid to be rejected, right? That's, you're not going to, you're not going to get every athlete to recruit and you're not going to win everything. And maybe, Hey, here's a, here's something for, for high school athletes. Hey, maybe this whole wrestling experience is just to prepare you for when your wife has cancer and you got to, you got to bang through it. Or when your kid's born without a leg or when you lose your job or when shit happens. Maybe you're not going to be the district regional national champ for that 15 minutes of sycophant fame. Maybe that's not going to be you. Maybe this is for something else. 
maybe you have to have faith that that's going to be there, that that's going to happen. Right. And that's a hard thing. And, and when you're, when you're like that, I heard Daniel, I think it was Daniel who said, somebody asked him about me and he said, Oh, you're never going to control her with money. I learned a long time ago in business and venture capital when, and when dealing with, you know, VC firms, if you make decisions in a business plan based upon how much money you have in the moment, you're, you're never going to succeed. You have to make the business plan that you think is going to work and you have to raise the money mm -hmm. to make it happen or self-fund by selling something else, you know, that, that funds the long-term business plan. And when you're in sports, like may your dream may be to be the national champ and it may never happen for you, but it's going to come up, kind of come out somewhere else. And it is going to matter to you in the time it is going to matter. But if you get so caught up and you jump from coach to coach and situation to situation, then that's a problem. You know, there's definite signs that it's available. I've seen it in the fight world and in wrestling of a coach that's, um, who's probably not currently able to operate in a way that's in an athlete's best interest. There's there, they have tells, you know, that things, this, there's patterns of behavior and responses and things that happen. You know, it's so interesting to me. Um, I don't know if I look, I don't know if I, I always want to say, do I look like I'm not smart, but you know, so many people try to, uh, you know, after a, I'll work with an athlete for a long time and they'll get really good. They'll come in and go, okay, well, you know, I'm going to finish them now. You need to come with you. Need, your, your athlete needs to come with me because I'm a man or they need to come with me because of this. And uh, you know, they'll try to be nice to me and they'll say all the same things. And I'm just like, yeah, no, thanks. I don't, I don't need any of those things you're offering me. I'm perfectly happy where I am, but they, they, they think that I don't, I don't see that, but people who, um, you know, there's no uh, shortcut to greatness in anything. Coach, that 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 rant is freaking that that rant's freaking amazing. I, I love that. That that's a great spot to end this podcast. Thank you for being on. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.